So it's great to be together this morning, and uh, we're going to be continuing our series. We've been uh, running a series called Hear My Voice. It's about God speaking. It's from the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And uh, today we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. Last week we talked about us connecting with God. Uh, This week we're talking about God speaking about his faithfulness. God speaking about his faithfulness. And so I'm going to read some verses, a few verses. The slides will come up behind me. Um, They're from the New Living Translation. And uh, they're just a few excerpts from this passage in Malachi. This is what it says. Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been unfaithful, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women and worship idols. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remains your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Wow. It's quite straight, isn't it? This morning, I want you to, right now, I want you to hear this. Don't switch off, okay? Very easy thing to do is say, A, it's not relevant to me. I want to say it's relevant to all of us. God's going to speak to us this morning. I want to say maybe you've never, you, you don't, you struggle to understand faithfulness. When we talk about God being faithful, faithfulness is everybody's let you down. Maybe you feel like that. People have let you down at every turn. And um, you have become reliant on yourself sorting things out. God wants to speak about faithfulness today in terms of relationship. You know, Faithfulness is, uh, is a really big issue. Sometimes we put our trust in things that we think are going to be faithful, but they turn out not to be. They break. I had, uh, we used to have a, a car when the kids were young. We used to uh, we had it for years and years and years, and we called the car, the kids called the car Old Faithful. Just kept going and going and going and going until <laughs> one day <laughs> it stopped going. And uh, we're full of camping gear. We're just outside Stonely. There's 20,000 of us camping up in uh, the Midlands. And uh, our car gets there and it just breaks down. The engine blows. Someone came and helped us get our stuff in. It's fortunate we were just arriving. And then the rest of the week it was in the garage. cost 700 pounds way back in the day. And uh, it was a lot of money. And the, suddenly the car stopped being called Old Faithful wasn't called old faithful. And sometimes we, uh, stuff lets us down, of course, but people let us down. And the worst thing about it is, actually, sometimes we let other people down. And faithfulness is, is a huge issue. And God wants us to, to hear what he's got to say about it. God wants to speak about faithfulness. So faithfulness is being trustworthy and dependable, whatever the cost. So faithfulness is intrinsic to who God is. He doesn't have to work about it, at it. He doesn't have to work up faithfulness. I'm going to be faithful today. God is intrinsically faithful. He never changes. He's faithful, we're told, to all his promises. We make promises that we easily break. We say things so quickly and then, and then we suddenly find, oh, actually, that's really going to cost me. And we forget. 
subtly forget and hope nobody else has remembered. We easily do that. We've all done it. God is not like us. Nothing has, can, or will ever stop him being faithful. And here's the rub. Here's the rub. Here's where it is relevant to us. Here's where it starts to bite. If God is our father, he expects us to show the family likeness. The Israelites in Malachi's day, they were God's people. They were to stand out from the nations around. They were to be a light to the nations around to show them what God was like. Show them that God was faithful. They didn't do a good job. Similarly, Paul says to us, through what he says to the Corinthian church, he says we are to be Christ's ambassadors, as though God was speaking through us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be a faithful person because God is faithful. It's a big deal to God. And it's a real problem when the messenger undermines the message. We saw that last week. Priests who were supposed to help people draw near and connect with God were actually causing them to stumble and got in the way of people encountering God. God wasn't pleased. You see, if God is our Father, our relationship should be marked by faithfulness. And we dishonor God when they're not. See, Malachi talks about, he uses a word, he talks about having a covenant. Covenant with God. Covenant is it's a word that we don't hear very often these days, but it's, it's a big word in the Bible, and it's used over 330 times throughout the Bible. It has a rich and deep meaning. It's more than a legally binding contract. We understand contracts. Contracts are really simple. Uh, I will do that for you if you do that for me. That's a contract. We have contracts with all sorts of things. I'll give you this money if you give me those goods. That's a, a contract. Covenant is not like that. A covenant is one-sided. It's a one-sided promise. It's saying, I will do that for you irrespective of what you do for me. And the Bible talks a lot about covenant, about us, God making a covenant with us through Jesus. It's not about how we perform or what we do. It's about how he's performed and what he's done. And he wants us to be people who are covenant people, who live like that with others, not dependent on how they perform But we love people because God loves people. We welcome people because God welcomes us. We're kind to people because God has been kind to us. That's what it should look like. And Malachi wants to talk about their relationships. He particularly focuses on relationships. He specifically picks up two things. And the first is uh, that the people he's speaking to were to marry people who, who didn't worship other gods. God was jealous for their worship. He was their God. He wanted them to worship him. And so he didn't want them to marry people who were going to take them away from worshiping him. God was passionate about Worship, our worship, he deserves it. He created us, he formed us, he made us. So God speaks about that. And the second thing that God speaks about is uh, he talks about uh, the area of marriage. You see, I want you to get this. Our worship of God should shape our relationships, not the other way around. Our worship of God should shape our relationships, not the other way around. So in the area of marriage, you see, marriage is God's idea. It's a God idea. God dreamed it up, created it, formed it, called Adam and Eve and put them together. It's a gift from him when a man and a woman 
become one as one person. They make lifelong precious promises before God which are not dependent on what the other person's going to do. They are covenant. They're covenant promises. I will do that for you till death us depart. It's not based on what the other person does. It's a promise. It's a covenant. Is faithfulness in relationships a big deal? Is what Malachi is talking about relevant to us in 21st century Britain? Don't we live in more enlightened days? Actually, just like the people in Malachi's day, we live in a world full of relational chaos. It's a mess all around of us. And some of us have first-hand experience of it. We know the pain of what that feels like. Some of you here know what it feels like to experience relational breakdown, to be let down and disappointed by people who promised all sorts of things to you. God wants to speak into this mess. He wants to speak into 21st century Winchester. He wants to speak to us here this morning. We need to hear his voice. And if we're going to do that, we need to hear what Malachi says through the lens of Jesus. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. We've read this over recent weeks, but it's a really important uh, a few verses. To, I want you to catch this. Long ago, God spoke many times in, in, and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. He spoke through prophets like Malachi. That's what he did. But we didn't get it very clearly. We, it was all, uh, the message was a bit shrouded. Then it says this. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. The son, we heard this from Jim when he read it this morning. The son radiates God's own glory. Jesus shows us what God is like. The character of God. So when we read about Jesus, we get the clearest picture of what God is like and what God thinks about stuff. And so we need to, if we're going to understand what God has to say about relationships, we need to understand how Jesus handled these things. What did Jesus say about faithfulness in relationships? So I went to, I did a wedding last week down in Exeter. And two people in the church here got married uh, the, the wedding was actually in a church uh, center of Exeter, but I got asked to speak at, at, their, at, at the wedding, in the wedding service. Great, great honor, we go down. And um, uh, the guy uh, who's getting married, he said, these are the passages uh, we'd like you to speak from. So he texted, uh, he sent me an email with the, the passages. So the first one, I've, I've done quite a few weddings over the years, as you can imagine. So I, I, I read uh, the, the first one, I thought Colossians, yeah, I kind of know that passage. That's a really appropriate passage, get that. The second one he sent me uh, was John uh, chapter 4. And he, it's a verses, and I thought, that's a bit odd. So he got that right. What he meant to send me was this. So he said, I really want you to speak about this. Um, can you speak into this on our wedding day? And so what he meant to send was this. So I want you to listen to this. Um, it's a great, great verses about uh, God's love for us. And um, so this is what it says. 1 John chapter 3 he meant to send this. Um, it says 1 John 3. Um, sorry, 1 John 4, and it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Ah, oh, lovely. 
Great passage. What a really appropriate passage for a wedding. Um, but he made a mistake. And um, he actually sent me, the passage he sent me um, was this. And um, uh, it's a, it sort of caused me to, I was like, really? Does he, does he really want me to speak on this? So uh, he said, um, he said, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. There was a titanic moment, potentially, which we averted, I'm glad to say. All that was missing was a one. Should have been one John for just a simple mistake. What I want you to get is this. In this passage, Jesus meets a woman. He meets this lady and he, uh, uh, he starts talking to her and the conversation starts to deepen and develop and Jesus starts asking her some questions. And, and then he says, he says, go and call your husband. Jesus already knows. He, he's God. He understands what's going on in this lady's heart and life. And he, he says, go and call your husband. He knows where she's at. And then that story unfolds. Jesus, how kind does he, he kind of deals with her really kindly. He's not, well, won't have anything to do with you. That is how God deals with us, okay? He deals gently. He doesn't avoid the issue. He speaks into the issue, but he deals with it gently. And whenever Jesus encounters people, there's a life-changing encounter. This lady's life was changed forever. I can guarantee that actually her lifestyle changed. Becoming a follower of Jesus, you come as you are, but you never stay as you are. Because Jesus, if Jesus is who he says he is, we want to give our all for him. We want to live in a way that pleases him and honors him. And he knows what's best for us. So Jesus has a lot to say about faithfulness in relationships. See, Jesus also has a high view of marriage. See, on, on one occasion, Jesus says to anyone who divorces their partner, except for marital unfaithfulness, and then remarries, he says they committed adultery. That's one passage in, um, uh, in Matthew 5. On other occasions, in Mark and Luke, Jesus actually leaves out the caveat. He just says that anyone who divorces and remarries is committing adultery. Oh, right. Well, I thought you just said, what, what's going on? Then there's a, another passage which we're going to read together. And this passage is in Matthew 19. I want to, this is how Jesus speaks into this. So, Matthew 19, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So is there, does it move on? What have I got? Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and then send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Wow. So Jesus speaks very clearly into uh, their question. But uh, I want to I say this to you. 
Before we go any further, why the variations? Why does Jesus say this one thing here, say something slightly different here? seems to be saying something a little different here to these Pharisees. What is going on? I want you to know that every time Jesus speaks the truth, okay? So there's something going on we need to understand. So uh, I've read, uh, there's a book by a guy called David Instone Brewer, which is really helpful on this. And he poses this question. I want you to think about this question. Is it lawful for under-18s to drink in the UK? Is it lawful for under-18s to drink in the UK? Yes? No, it's not, is it? It's not lawful for under-18s to drink in the UK. Now, when I ask that question, okay, there's an assumption behind the question that most of you will understand. You will understand that the question is about drinking alcohol. If you don't live in the UK and you come here, you hear that, you say, is it lawful for under-18s to drink? Well, it must be because they'll die within three days. Do you understand the context changes everything? And here, in this situation, Jesus has been asked a specific question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? The key is in the phrase, for any and every reason. Jesus is being asked by the Pharisees about a debate that's been raging between two uh, rabbis, Jewish rabbis, who don't agree on the interpretation of what that means. The first one was a guy called Hillel. He interpreted the Old Testament law as allowing divorce for any reason. So, woke up in the morning and didn't like his wife's hair, he could divorce her. It was literally going down to that sort of level. He could just say, I divorce you, I, I, I don't want to be with you anymore. The other Rabbi Shammai said divorce was only allowable for marital unfaithfulness. And the law said that divorce uh, was only allowable if a man found something indecent in his partner. The word, uh, the word was porneia. And the disagreement has been a big disagreement over what that word means. What's the extent of it? What, does it, uh, what, what, what are grounds for a legitimate divorce? What I want you to get is Jesus sided with Shammai really clearly. It's not just for willy-nilly. You can't just get divorced like that. Jesus says specifically that he supports Shammai. Something indecent. What does that mean? So I want you to get this. God sets the bar high. The bar is high when we talk about these things. God is passionate about marriage. The standard for relationships isn't set by us. It's set by him. God designed sex solely for within a marriage And a marriage, a biblical marriage, is exclusively between a man and a woman. That cuts across lots that you're going to hear in the world around you. That's what the Bible says. God says it absolutely clearly. And the consequence of when two people come together, a man and a woman get married, is that they are no longer two but one before God. What God designed was profound and powerful, and it was intended to be lifelong that God joined them together. It was the perfect environment to bring up children. Marriage is God's idea, and it's good, and that's why God hates divorce. I mean, clearly, throughout history, couples have separated and divorced, but it was to be a last resort, not the first option. You see, when, you, when the atom was split, when the atom was split, it released huge destructive energy. When God unites and joins people together, 
Something profound happens. And when divorce happens, that tearing, that ripping apart does huge damage. And some of you, some of you, I say with all the gentleness I can muster, you know what that feels like. You know the pain of that. I want you to know that God knows too. God understands. The truth is, very few marriages are beyond the pale. Most marriages can be put back together by both partners, demonstrating repentance before God and before each other. Putting each other first alongside God's grace, helping them day by day. And time. The Bible says the root of the problem is is here, it's in our hearts. It's an issue of the heart. We see it in all sorts of ways. You know, and all of us, if you are married to you, you understand this. If you're not married to you, you understand this. In our hearts, we can be very self-focused. It becomes all about us. In relationships, everything becomes about us and how I feel. It's about we're not grateful for what other people do for us or what our partner does for us. We start to twist what God says to get our own way. We don't put other people's needs above our own. We make poor choices as a result. Maintaining a high view of marriage will will mean swimming against the cultural tide, which is trying to redefine marriage. Malachi challenges us as well about who we marry and relationships. He wasn't talking about inter-race marriages. He wasn't saying you can't marry people from another race. He wasn't saying that at all. What he was saying was he was talking about marrying someone who will draw you away from worshipping God. There's a a king in the Old Testament called Solomon, and he had loads of wives from different countries. And it says in the end, they turned his heart away from worshipping God. A guy who was so committed to God suddenly stopped being so committed. God doesn't want us to be like that. Jesus challenges us to love God with all our heart. And the key question is, is will this relationship help me love God more? That's the question you've got to ask yourselves if you're a follower of Jesus. He gave everything for me. Will I give everything for him? So don't rush too quickly into relationships. Listen to those who know you well. Take some time. Take some advice. There's nothing worse than being in a bad relationship. If we're single, mix with people in the right places and love God with all our heart. Don't get close to someone who's married. If we're married, protect it. It's a gift from God, so invest time in it. Invest time in it. If our marriage is in difficulty, humble ourselves and get help. Remember, it always takes two parties to work at it. We can't fix a marriage on our own. God sets a high bar. And see, the problem is, is we've lowered the bar. We've lowered it. The people of Malachi's day were lowering the bar. Josephus, who is a a Jewish historian writing about those days, indicated that the liberal school of thought, Hillel's view, was the common view of the day. Jesus was swimming against the tide. It's the same today. Nothing has changed over two and a half thousand years. See, the Pharisees ask Jesus if what he says is true. If he says, is what Moses, the Pharisees say, is what Moses said true? If that's the case, Moses commanded that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. Moses commanded. 
The choice of words explains a lot. Jesus simply says, Moses permitted divorce because our hearts are hard. Divorce was not a command, but a concession. You see, it's always been about our hearts. I remember years ago, many, many years ago, there was a lady, uh, not in this church, but who was, uh, she was married. The, her husband wasn't a, a Christian, and it was a, I think it was a difficult relationship. But she was praying, prayed, had lots of people praying for, for her husband to get saved. And um, then he got saved. He came to Christ, and she divorced him. And I'm just like, you've been praying for this. And we, we get so messed up. We get so confused. It becomes all about our hearts and what we think and what we feel. God says, stop. What do I think? What's my attitude in it? Divorce is the last resort. But now it's available on demand. So there's a high court judge in the family division. He's quoted as saying, it's easier to get a divorce than a driving license. That's what he said, high court judge. God allowed divorce to protect the weak and the vulnerable, the innocent. In the Old Testament, you see, women were treated often like belongings and discarded in a male-dominated society. Marriage provided them protection, and so God sought to ensure every divorced woman was given a certificate to protect her from accusation and shame. Too many, even today, are living with feelings of shame resulting from failed marriages. Living with shame. God doesn't want you to live with shame. He wants to set you free. The starting point is always to try and save Christian marriages, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes the issues are so deep and so damaging, and to encourage them to stay in the relationship will be dangerous for their well-being. Sometimes that happens in this broken, messed-up world. But at the starting point, is always to try and save marriage. Sometimes one person in a marriage wants to work out a relationship and the other doesn't. Maybe that's been your experience. And it's painful. I want you to know God understands your pain. If you're single, I want to encourage you to be faithful in your relationships. If you're a student here, be faithful in your Don't settle for second best. My daughter went to university in Swansea. And when she went away, I, I did what I guess most dads uh, of daughters going away were saying, don't cut corners. My advice to her was, don't cut any corners. Don't have your boyfriend sleeping over in your room. Don't do it. Find somewhere else for him to sleep if he's going to come and visit you. Make sure you do that. Don't cut corners. The price will be high if you do. And I remember her talking amongst her friends, a group of friends who were art students and uh, no Christians, I don't think, amongst them. At, at least I don't think so. And they were talking about sex. And, and Meg just said, well, I've never had sex. I'm saving until I get married. And there was a silence. There was a stunned silence in the room. And then slowly, one by one, people began to open up. There was someone else said, I, I haven't either. I'm not a Christian, but I haven't either. Someone else said... I have, but I really wish I hadn't. It provoked a a really interesting conversation. I want to say to you, if you are single, God wants you to honor him in your relationships. He wants to honor him in your relationships. God is no killjoy. 
Sexual fulfillment isn't the zenith of human experience. We choose who we marry and we choose if we get married. And if Jesus is our all in all, surely we would, should want to marry someone who loves him like we do. Surely. Paul is clear on being yoked together with someone who doesn't believe. Context is probably business relationships in 2 Corinthians 6, but it's the same principle. Why? Why do it? Let me say, I've watched many go down the route, and it's not an easy path. It can be full of heartache. Both Jesus and Paul are examples of people who stayed single, and look at how fruitful their lives were. I want to say to you, there are some heroes in here. There are some, I, 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 there are some people in here who have held back and have not just chased relationships because they were looking for someone who loved Jesus like they did, and they, it hasn't happened for them. And I want to say, God honors that. God's so proud of you. Is there any hope? The bar is high. We've lowered the bar. Is there any hope? Actually, Jesus is the answer. Through Jesus, we encounter the faithfulness of God. He sent, God sent Jesus into this sin-sick world to deal with our sin and its consequences. He came from his Father full of grace and truth. It's not one or the other. He brought, Jesus brought the truth. He spoke the truth to the woman at the well. But he brought the grace of God, grace and truth. You don't separate like that. They're part of a sword, like the sword of the Spirit. He comes, Jesus comes and speaks truth, but he brings, it comes with grace because he loves us. The whole message of Malachi is God loves us, loves us deeply. He calls us to be faithful in our relationships. Jesus makes it clear the only grounds for divorce are marital unfaithfulness. There's loads of debate about what that word means. My own view is that it includes adultery, but it can include other things like sexual activity outside marriage. It can include it can include domestic violence and abandonment in circumstances. But it's, there's no rule book on it. When you look for the rule, there's, there's no rule. It's a, the rules are a blunt tool. We deal with each case on its merits before God. Every case is different. A, a, a biblically legitimate divorce in any event may not automatically, it may automatically allow for remarriage. If it's biblically legitimate divorce, it allows for remarriage. But to be honest, sometimes it's not appropriate just in terms of where people are at. Working through these things is complicated, it's difficult, it needs godly wisdom, and Jesus is the answer. Our relationship with Jesus is the answer. What if we're single and we've made mistakes? What if we've broken our marriage promises? What if we've messed up? I tell you, if you'd seen me when I was in my late 20s, you would never have thought... I would ever end up leading the church. I had made such a mess of my life. I am here because of the grace and the truth of God. It's the grace. God came to me, spoke truth to me, and he brought grace. I'm the man I am because of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. There's nothing in me that is particularly good. I stand here testimony to his grace and his truth. You see... Remember how Jesus uh, handled the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. The Pharisees expected the law to be applied. Truth, apply the truth. Jesus, in the moment, he just says, is there any here without sin? Let him throw the first stone. And then one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, all the Pharisees and the religious people disappeared. And it's just the woman standing in front of Jesus in the end. And Jesus says, 
Do any condemn you? She says, no. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Beautiful. He doesn't hammer her. He doesn't, he doesn't leave her in shame and guilt and condemnation. The Bible says that there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever you've done, God obliterates your sin. That's what we were singing this morning. God wipes it away. He takes your sin away as far as the east is from the west. Whatever you've done, whatever mistakes you've made, there's always forgiveness. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Often the last person, when we're like that, when we've been come out of that, the last person we forgive is ourselves. We struggle to forgive ourselves. That would have been my story. Struggled to forgive myself. Jesus, with a woman at the well, he makes no public comment about what's going on. He just says, talks to her about the situation she's in. We don't, tell, we don't get told what happens afterwards. We don't get told about how she responds. But I, I think it's absolutely crystal clear. Anybody who encounters Jesus like that, everything changes in the moment. She is so thrilled about being set free from shame and guilt. I think her life started changed forever. I think the testimony of that in her village was powerful for generations. As we finish, God's kingdom is established on righteousness and justice. Jesus came full of grace and truth. The truth sets us free. His grace is sufficient. When we walk consistently with God, humbly serving Him both in the little and big things, we can be called faithful. We won't always get it right. We get it wrong on occasions. We mess up. We make mistakes. But I want to tell you, Jesus' blood is sufficient for us. So we're going to, in a moment or two, we're going to remember a covenant that can never be broken. We're going to remember a covenant that can never be broken. Jesus' body shed for us on the cross. His blood shed for us that we might be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. We're going to take bread and wine in a moment, and it's going to be a sign that we are saying to God, thank you so much that I am clean. Whatever, whatever you've done, doesn't matter. I don't want to know. God knows anyway. He won't be surprised. He knew before you were, as you were doing it and before you did it. He knew what was in your heart. And he's wooing you, and he's saying, come, receive of my son. Receive forgiveness that is yours. It can be yours today. This is what it says in Hebrews 9. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? I want to say to you, there is hope for you here. The reason we changed the name of the church to Hope Church because God brings hope to the hopeless. Wherever you're at, however much you've messed up, doesn't matter. His love for you is great. All you need to do is to receive it. All you need to, if you've never given your life to Christ, you need, let me encourage you to do it today as we break bread, you can do it. You can take that moment and say, I take this bread as a sign, Jesus, that you died in my place. Your body was shed for me. I, I drink this wine as a sign that your blood washes away my sin. Forgive me, Father, for all I've done wrong. If you're in the midst of battles, 
You've got to start somewhere. And where do you start? You come to God. Because that's where we go. He's our yardstick. He's our measure in these things. And so I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. But I'm going to ask us to respond to God. And our response is not going to be coming to the front for prayer. It's going to be going to the foot of the cross and finding a Savior who brings forgiveness. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for you wherever you're at. If you're single and battling with temptation, struggling in relationships, he's speaking to you about what you need to do. If you're struggling in marriage where stuff's tough at the moment, that's okay, he knows. But actually you need to turn to him and listen to what he's saying and do what he says. It's not easy. I tell you, these things are not easy. I'm just telling you this is what the Bible says. And I understand there's a heartache involved in this. And I just want to encourage you, come to Christ. I'm not inviting you to come to the front, to come to, for me to pray for you. Come to Christ. Receive what he has for you as we break bread. So the musician is going to play quietly, and I'm going to invite you just to respond and take bread and wine. You probably need to, you may want to do it with someone else, but you may, need to, you may want to do this by yourself. Maybe there's some things you need to say sorry for to God. It's okay. He knows. Maybe you need to forgive other people for the way they've hurt you. Oh, I, I can't. I tell you, you find help on the cross. So let's respond. Let's come and break bread. Remember what Jesus has done for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not taking this step as a sign of giving your life to him, then just let this moment pass you by. Just reflect saying to you this morning. So if the musicians play quietly, let's take bread and wine and then we'll finish with a song.